Hello and welcome to the Parisia podcast. I'm Shabal Raish, your host, and welcome to 2021. Um, I'm excited uh, to bring to you special guests from around the world. And uh, during the COVID year, I mean, it's been uh, it's been an amazing 2020, and uh, it continues in 2021. So my prayers to everyone who is suffering in in one way or another uh, around the world. The cases are still quite high, but we pray for for all of you. Um, but my guest is from the other side of the world now, normally based in the United States, but in the United Kingdom right now as we speak. And so he is the president of this uh, publication, New Polity. And uh, he is also born a Muslim, a convert from Islam. His name is Jacob Imam. Uh, and he joins me from UK right now. Hello, Jacob. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thanks so very much for having me. It's delight to be with you. Uh, it's, it's great to have you. Um, I mean, great work, by the way, with this. And we'll talk about this a bit later. But uh, I've just been flicking through some of the articles in this journal. It is excellent. And uh, very excited to, uh, to, to know that Australians can now get it um, as well. Um, and we'll talk a bit about that towards the end of the show. But yeah, well thanks done to with you. It. Yeah, <laughs> thanks to you and most of all parts. So thank you. Yeah. No, my pleasure. Um, you're, uh, you've got a fascinating story. And I, I know many may have heard of it. Uh, Matt Frad did an interview with you uh, uh, about your conversion. And I'd like to sort of introduce you to our audience a bit um in in one way very similar i mean my i've written a book about my conversion how islam led me back to christ but i was not born a muslim um mm-hmm. i i talk about how my muslim friends influenced you were born a muslim um mm-hmm. but it's quite interesting the background your parents relationship uh and and how you were brought up uh i'd love to sort of just introduce a little bit about your your story your background uh for our audience if we could start um about your upbringing and, and how you were born in an Islamic um, faith. Absolutely. Well, I, when it's talking about a birth, the place that you start is your parents. My mom was uh, born and raised in Michigan. She's an American. She was, she was baptized in the Catholic Church uh, right after being born herself. And then her family ended up uh, leaving the church for the most part um, right around the time she was confirmed. Um, and so when she had a chance to go on a study abroad to Jerusalem and then met my father who was, who was born and raised a Muslim. Uh, that was something that was quite alien to her. Um, but at the same time, it was uh, not, not something so upsetting because she had a, a faith that she carried very dear uh, to her in, in a riveting relationship with God through the church that, uh, that she was cherishing. So, uh, she is back in the church now, uh, praise, praise God, and, uh, and just a, an absolute inspiration for all that, that meet her. Um, but my father, you know, in contrast, was born into a, quite a well-known Muslim family. They had uh, moved fr- uh, to the Holy Land, as far as our family accounts uh, suggest, around the year 900, um, particularly to help uh, establish uh, it, well, it was well established at that point, but uh, to to serve uh, within uh, the the Dome of the Rock and Al Aqsa Mosque um, uh, authorities at that time, they ended up being kind of in and out of that setting for for centuries, and uh, and it was only until my grandfather. Uh, well, my great grandfather, rather, that had a little bit of an all, falling out with with someone of, in the authorities. He was the Imam of Al Aqsa Mosque. Uh, that our family stopped serving in that role, and my 
grandfather then uh, became, he founded the first local travel agency in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem uh, which, was, which was really neat, educational tours. Uh, and, and then that was, uh, you know, the slow progression in a, in a sense, I think, away from Islam. Um, and we'll, we can talk about that as we go ahead. But my, um, my father was in the scene having, uh, having witnessed some of the corruption that comes with uh, the authorities that he saw in, in Jerusalem. And of course, you know, in the Catholic Church, we have a whole host of things that we can continuously cite for when, it, when talking about corruption and uh, within, within hierarchies. But, uh, but he saw that, it was a little disenchanting for him. And my, my grandfather um, even started, there were some interesting things with him as well, where he uh, didn't want his inheritance divided by Sharia law. He himself had gone to a Bible college to help with uh, his educational tours around the Holy Land. Uh, he uh, he had, had even encouraged my dad to to marry a Christian at one point, and so there's he read the scripture every day. I mean, I guess there's kind of a laundry list of things that are rather interesting in this this process. But but he died a Muslim and fully professing one, uh, and up until that day, um, my father was once he moved to this met my mother. They married in Jerusalem, and once they moved to the States in no small part to avoid the Israeli occupation. Uh, it, was, it was a quick transition for him um, a, to, to stop practicing his faith for the most part. Um, and, and so I was brought up he, being taught the Quran, being, uh, being taught some, some, some prayers, how, how to pray at least. And, uh, but it was also with my mom sneaking in at night without him knowing. Uh, who had uh, teaching me to fold my hands and kneel by the bed to pray to Jesus instead for once they had moved back, she had become an evangelical. Um, so there's, there's a whole bunch of twists and turns in this, in this family story, but one that moves from a, quite a strong religious and even um, uh, well-known authority within the Islamic um, world within Jerusalem uh, and then slowly moving towards American secularism, um, and that was really the context in which I was I was raised with hearing two different things about God as I was growing up. And should I be praying on my uh, on my knees, or just how far down on my knees should I be praying? Yeah. <laughs> oh wow, this is fascinating because for people to understand the Dome of the Rock, I mean, arguably that's probably the most symbolic. Um, that mosque uh, globally would be, I mean, would you compare it to say, St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican? Would that be sort of equivalent? Would that be the grand mosque of the world in a sense? Yeah, I think that's about right. We wouldn't say as Catholics that St. Peter's is the holiest place in the world. We might say that uh, some of the the sites of Christ, probably the Holy Sepulchre for us in Jerusalem is is perhaps the holiest place in the world. I mean, wherever Christ is present in the Eucharist is, is, obvious but we might say that that is the i once heard cardinal burke refer to the holy sepulcher as, as the mother of all pilgrimages and and in this in a similar similar way that the iconic feature of saint peter's matches up more appropriately to the dome of the rock but you might say that mecca is the mother of all i mean would say that for a muslim is the, yes. is the mother of all pilgrimages yeah no good comparison but uh, it's fascinating so your whole family heritage right there for my goodness, centuries, uh, right up until your 
great grandfather um, were very much responsible in Jerusalem at one of the most holy sites, um, which is still contested today. Lots of wars over this this very site. Uh, Jews today, Muslims and Christians. I mean, we it's a lot of history in the Old Testament over that site um, and the New Testament. But um, fascinating that your bloodline is connected uh, intimately to that site that up mm-hmm. until. So your grandfather, did you say, was he didn't really. He, he was probably the first to, to break away. Well, yeah, I mean, it gets, it almost becomes a little fantastic, but my, my great grandfather refused to break down a, a section of the wall in surrounding the old city of Jerusalem for the entering uh, King of Prussia at that time. And just the authorities didn't like his, his decision and kicked him out. And so my grandfather, he died young. And so my grandfather was, out, I kind of make the comparison to if you've ever seen the movie Slumdog Millionaire as the little boys showing around Western tourists through the Taj Mahal, kind of making up things as he goes. Well, that was my grandfather after the family. <laughs> they kind of lost their occupation, as it were. And, uh, and he said, wow, this is lucrative. And I'd like to know more about this. And was fascinated by the history of, of his hometown and really sought to, to develop, develop that uh, that industry, the, the tourism industry. That's what he did. Well, it is interesting because uh, that was the beginning, if you like, of a journey, as you said, the departure or a breakaway of what would you say were traditional Islam. I mean, I mean it is such yes. a strong part Absolutely. of our identity uh, of, of many people who are uh, born in the Islamic faith. It is, it is um, very strong in, in who you are, uh, both politically, uh, spiritually, your identity as a person, um, your lens of the worldview is, is through Islam and, um, and the way you see others as well through that lens of you're either in or you're out. <laughs> um, this concept. So uh, it's interesting uh, what our Lord had in store for you um, as it came to your birth um, and in a mixed marriage. <laughs> and, and so you had the contrast of the two. Um, tell us about life growing up. Um, you did, did you like pray? the Islamic way and the Christian way? I mean, how did that work? Yeah, you know, it really was my, I think for many years, it was my father not knowing that my mother was coming in. Um, but as soon as he did, to be honest, I can't really recall. I remember him coming in and, and teaching me the Quran from time to time, but never, never praying together. And I think it was something within him. He had a lot of questions about the faith and it was a, a, a lack of, conviction that he ultimately had with his father's faith that he wasn't willing to give up he, mm. he, he would always be very strongly it was never this i was raised a catholic thing you know i was raised a muslim thing it was i am a muslim and there was a there's a pride in it but there were some real theological things that he was still wondering about and so when he learned that i was also uh, being instructed in the new testament as you know in, in a very particular evangelical type of way. Uh, and it was, it was a real shaking of his faith. In the same time, it was a real shaking of mine when I realized that my parents believed two different things. And that happened at a kind of poignant moment. I'll never forget around the dinner table when I was four. And I mistakenly wow, so young. said, uh, I mistakenly said, you know, thank you for this food in Jesus' name, amen. And, uh, and it was at that point, by my father's reaction, I quite realized that they believed two very different things about God. And and so that was uh, a great moment for him in in the real sense of 
do how much do I really believe in this faith now that my family is potentially fractured over it? And then for me, it was, well, my source of authority, real source of authority, um, my parents are mm. don't are not united on this, and so how do I come up with a, a solution on because this, it's, it seemed fun, it seemed kind of obvious, like one of the first things that I should should know and do and it defined all of life. So that was yeah. yeah. A real question I, for me at that point. A lot going on as a young person to know that your parents are divided on, on, on who God is, how they look at God. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it is an insight. It is a bit of a, uh, an awakening for, for the many people who don't realize. But yeah, if you are born in Islamic uh, faith, it is so strong. Um, and so when it comes to children, so love can bring so many people together. Interesting, mom and dad. But then once it comes down to passing the faith onto the children, sort of especially the father being uh, Islamic, uh, it is sort of a given, you know, that the condition is, you know, that you bring this child the Muslim way. And when he found out that you were actually being taught uh, Christianity in some sense, I mean, thank God you were, you were, some seeds were planted at such a young age. So, so that God, the, the, the grace could work, but yeah, what an insight. So I imagine he wasn't happy uh, at all. No, yeah, no, it wasn't a good reaction, it, but at the same time, you know, he saw that, I was quite confused and yes. uh, you know, there was, there was a real tension developed of course in, in the family at that point. But at the same time, it was a lack of assurance was, was okay. obvious. And so the quintessential Islamic reaction to a, a son leaving the faith is disowning of course. Yes. And, and, and some things of that nature did happen later on when I, when I resolved that I really was going to seek to be baptized by the church. Um, but, uh, but not at that time, you know, we grew up together. Did he ramp up uh, the teachings of Islam in, as a child? Like, did he sort of say, I better lift up my game here and, and sort of get <laughs> you to start reading the Quran more or, or, or just, did he sort of turn up not, the heat? Um, a, a little bit, not too much. What it was for him was when he was ultimately diagnosed with cancer, lung cancer, yeah. many, many years later where he saw, uh, you know, death is, is a divine gift in, in many ways. It was just the uh, medicine that God knew that we needed or else we would continue to rebel forever. And, um, and for him, it, was, it began a very uh, a determined search for God at that moment. And, um, but that was, that was many years later. So in the, in the, in the interim, it was really him uh, saying I should I should at least give you the doctrines more and that's indeed what what we saw and what we had growing up and so there was a lot of comparisons between uh, the Quran, the Quran and uh, the Bible the Jesus and Muhammad and uh, it, but it was it was very it was real catechesis in, in the in the Catholic sense again to use our terms but uh, but again it was it was clear that through his life he was unconvicted. And yeah. so, and that's the biggest thing. I mean, for, you know, raising children, they notice things early. <laughs> we notice things early mm-hmm. and, uh, and talk is cheap. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's your actions that speak. Yeah. So it sounds like, um, uh, both mom and dad, although practice were, were fairly, were not, um, I guess, super devout in the, in either phase. Would you, would that be correct? I mean, your upbringing, I mean, you knew God was there. You did pray. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but it wasn't as though it dominated your life. Or, or would that be right? Uh, your parents um, were divided yeah, themselves. I, so how, how far did your faith go? 
Oh, it was it was non-existent for yeah. for many years, and uh, and my mom was was about. I mean, I, I'll, I'll never forget waking up every morning, sneaking downstairs, and there she was with her with her Bible. Okay. And, I mean, several years after they moved to the states, she her next door neighbors invited her to a Bible study on the Gospel of John. Again, wow. happy evangelicals, and and she really did come to a, a beautiful faith uh, there. That you know, years later. Um, led her back to the Catholic church in particular, but, um, but no, I, she, she really had a, a faith, but, it, you know, still understanding how that uh, fit into her marriage. Now that she found herself in a, in a, in a mixed marriage, mm-hmm. uh, trying to figure out how to handle that with a son, which she promised to raise as a Muslim. And also just trying to figure that out as an American, as you know, too, where it was not just a privatized faith. You know, these were all the questions that my mom uh, suffered through, you know, then that I actively remember her, her working through as a, as a child and beyond. Yeah. Wow. Did mom and dad meet in America and got married in America? And in, Jerusalem. Okay. in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they both were you born in in Jerusalem or the states? No, I came fourteen years after they got married, so they had already settled in the states. Okay. And uh, yeah, again, not in small part to avoid the occupation, which was is real, you know, out there. And I'm not mean this to make too much of a political statement. I really hope not to, um, but it was it was tough for them to to live yeah. there still. Yeah. Okay. Are you the only child? I am. Yeah. They yeah. bought me a dog to make up for it. At one point, yeah. <laughs> um, and um, so tell us then, so obviously confusion for a young person growing up, um, but, but you did find God eventually. Tell us about your path. What was life like, you know, as a teen, you know, leading up, you know, I think at nine, you had also, uh, you sort of um, made a decision to sort of say it's too much yeah. for me as a young person, but tell us about <laughs> yeah. when did it, when did God become, I guess, real for you, what, what, what sort of sparked it again? Yeah. So yeah, for four the nine, it was just constant search of, or just trying to think and come up with some solution and realized I couldn't. And at nine, I said, you know, I really, really can't come up with the one. So I'll just put this aside and struggled to do that, but did a little bit. Then my, my parents sent me to a classical school and that was, that was interesting, but it was also an exposure to the uh, Greco-Roman myths as well and the chaos in which the pagans saw the universe and you know i think there's a lot of people out there today that are interested in in classical schools and resurrecting the great books of the tradition and that's certainly better than you know what most schools are offering today Uh, but at the same time the pre-christian societies were indeed pre-christian and not christian and they do not have the same conception of god uh, his divine grace, his goodness, um, that, uh, that, that is true and real and the Catholic Church teaches. And so it was a, a strange thing, again, to throw in then another theological conception into the mix where there was disorder, there was chaos, and there was not necessarily a comedy at the end, a rise into joy and life and love. Um, it really was perhaps, you know, a trinity in the underworld where it's the chaos more or less continues, um, if anything at all. So that was an, another thing. And I thought, well, maybe that makes sense. There's a lot of uh, oddities in the world. There's a lot of chaos in the world. 
maybe they were really on to something. Uh, but then I had a great uh, assignment one, one day where I was told to study one uh, epistle of the New Testament. And so I spent a month and a half just studying the book of James. And at the end of that, realizing just how essential Christ's sacrifice was. And, and I didn't really have a, a great conviction of my sin at that point. But later on when I did, just everything made sense that there was something substantial that Jesus did that a law did not, that he really knew that there was a real cosmic divorce that happened between heaven and earth, that Christ really needed to jump over this great chasm that was set to be able to, to send this lifeline back to him, back to himself. And, and what really was that lifeline back to God, but God. And then that made sense to me. It was fitting. It was beautiful. And, and ultimately, it was, it was that that led me to seek baptism, knowing that I needed it. And it was my only shot. So that's yeah. the book of James. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. We recommend uh, anyone out there who is uh, far from God, read the book of James. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, yeah. That's, that's amazing. How old were you then uh, when you realized that? I, it, was, it was about 14 when I was reading that and then over the course of the next year it was realizing just how bad of a person i was and i was 15 when i was baptized wow praise god how did you praise did your mom help you in the baptism process how did what did you do from there when you discovered i want to be baptized i rather did it around her back for the most part oh, i did wow. tell her at, at some point but it was i think a, a there was a slight fear of um the family and the reaction and causing more strife than needed that was um that was yeah implicit enough within family conversations that i knew that it was going to be a delicate situation um but it was baptized at her church which was a low very low church uh evangelical methodist i believe it was what it was and um but it, after that it was really bouncing around all the different denominations that uh, we had around the Seattle area. That's where we grew up. Okay. And uh, and I was very, very unsettled um, at, at any any which one of them for, for many years. And uh, at college was kind of the longest period where I was going to a Reformed church, but completely unsatisfied with Calvinist doctrine. And, uh, and it, 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 I could quite clearly now, in retrospect, it's easy to see that I was waiting to come home to the Catholic church. Yeah, let's let's um talk about that just very quickly. Your father as well. Did he not know about your baptism? I imagine. Did he until the day I was baptized? That's right. Yeah, yeah. And then there was some more strife in the family, but um, it ultimately, you know, led to to a unity where he requested to be baptized on his deathbed. That's wow. Okay. Well, I'm fascinated about that, but. I don't know what to do first. Let's let's talk about <laughs> becoming Catholic. How did you get to that point? Um, what what sort of put you on that path? I mean, you're already you're you're sort of exploring different uh, denominations. Your yeah. mum, of course, is evangelical Christian. How did you then make that next step to the Catholic Church? Well, I think ultimately it was through uh, a series of events. Reading scripture had no small part in it. But there was also a church that I was going to uh, in college, 
again, a low church, very low church. And there came to be this question of not just what the Eucharist was, but where it could be celebrated, as it were. Like, could, you know, it was very low church. So could they give it out in their homes? You know, what do you do with the leftovers afterwards, all, all of this? And I just thought, with such a basic question, we have to have an answer to this. Like, my desire for greater intimacy with God is not, not stronger than God's desire that for greater intimacy with me. So he must have an answer to this situation. And that's really what it was. And recognizing that the church has tradition, saying, yeah, these questions are really important. Are you baptized as an infant or as an adult? Is the Eucharist Christ or is it not? Is, is the Eucharist subject to anyone or solemnly uh, to priests consecrated to, to him? These are basic questions, elementary school questions. And that's why we teach elementary school kids uh, these, these, the, the answers to these questions uh, in catechesis. But for, the, for us in the evangelical world, it was unanswered. It was opinions. It was ultimately a form of relativism, relativism, excuse me, sneaking into the evangelical denominations. And so, and, and it really was this, this idea of love. Love could not be fully realized without answers to this question. Because you think about it, you don't, you can't really love what you don't know. Um, you, you know, anybody, and this is, you know, marketing 101 for uh, any, any company is that people don't know what they want until they see it. And, uh, and this is, and that was, you know, Steve Jobs, uh, main plug for making the, uh, making his tablets, but also is, you know, it's the same idea for us Christians knowing more about Christ, seeking his face and knowing him more intimately, knowing more about him so that we can love him more dearly. And so that connection, why tradition is so important is because it, it, they are the rungs on the ladder by which we can ascend to get a clear glimpse of Christ's face. Brilliant. Can I ask, how did you know where, when you had those questions and you wanted to get to the bottom of those, um, get to the bottom with those answers, what, uh, where did you go? Did you, um, did you just go online? Did you have a friend? Was there a guide there? How, how did you get the there were two. There was two things that came at the same time. One was I was taking a, a course in medieval um, historical thought, yeah. and then the second thing was I had a friend who had converted to Eastern Orthodoxy. He was actually um, my philosophy teacher in, oh, in high school, and just an amazing, amazingly brilliant guy. And so I called him, and I started to study in that class a little bit, <laughs> a little bit better, um, and. And so I really started to go down a path towards Eastern Orthodoxy based upon his influence. Started studying, reading the text that he sent me, but also at the same time I was reading the Western tradition of the of the church, which of course there, there's different time periods of exactly when the Eastern and Western churches split. Um, 1054 is obviously the big one that you hear bantered about, but really it was, you know, Council of Florence a few hundred years later before people really realized that there, there being a functional split and such. Anyways, I don't want to get too much into that, um, but there was, um, there was this kind of dichotomy of what I was studying and hearing all at the same time. And I thought then I'd eventually do that more formally. So a number of months later, I asked to begin catechesis in the Orthodox Church 
as well as the Catholic Church. Uh -huh. um, and so I continued to do that for a few months longer. And at that point, I came to the decision that it was going to be the Catholic Church that I would ultimately request reception into. Wow, praise God. Um, so then once, so it was just months. So we're talking from the moment of starting, are we talking a six-month period here from when you first... I'm kind of realizing that there was, that I really needed to find a traditional yeah. form of Christianity to ultimately being uh, received into the church was almost uh, a year, exactly. Mm -hmm. I think just over a year. Yeah, uh, and yeah. Was, so that was the process. Praise, praise God. Um, and your mother at the time, did she then find out? Uh, find <laughs> um, yeah, I was a bit more vocal about uh, <laughs> making a decision that I was going to change, convert, but there was, uh, at the same time, I was always a little bit uncomfortable with who was listening, um, whether that was somebody that was more inclined to Eastern Orthodoxy. I would be a little bit more upfront saying, you know, I think I'm probably going to head in that direction. Or if they were Catholic, I said, I'm probably going to head in that direction. That was, it was very discomforting. I mean, when you're outside, so I don't know if anybody's listening is, is in that spot right now or have been, but it's very, very discomforting process of converting that it feels like you have the rug just tugged from underneath you and um but that was it was just great motivation at the same time i just said you know i, I know the person of christ is is whom i'm seeking and uh and the holy trinity in his ultimate and eternal love is is where i hope to be and so it's just great motivation to keep studying harder and harder and uh, praying more and more i have to ask you you did say your mum entered the church was that after she you did. So. It was, it was, as I was deciding to be um, received afterwards, we took a, a trip together. She, I, so I ultimately was received in the church and that was while well, I was over here in England. Uh, I've been studying here for a bit too long. And <laughs> uh, my, my godfather uh, was just, anyways, there's, there's many wonderful things to say about, about my godfather. Um, but he, uh, he was very instrumental and, in, and, in, playing a role in, in helping me just make a decision over the Catholic church or for the Catholic church over Eastern Orthodoxy, um, in certain ways. And, uh, and after I was received and he became my godfather, my mom came to visit us and, uh, and we had a great, great time while she was here. And she, you know, we, she and I had been talking through the process. She was uncomfortable of being an evangelical for many, many years, the classic, objections and worthwhile you know to to get answers to of you know praying uh praying to the saints praying for the dead um uh, the pope our blessed mother these were questions that she had heard objections to for you know a very long time at this point and uh, didn't know good answers to them and so we slowly started to talk about those and we had a great trip to a discussing them and and uh scott hans ministry was was a great thing for her too i will never forget that now scott's my neighbor in stupidville when, when we're not in in the uk so it's all kind of funny how, how the worlds collide but um, but that was that was her re-entrance into the church praise god and uh i, I mean so much is unpacked but uh, i know i haven't got too much time but i, I want to just uh understand how did you get to england so you were in seattle Mm -hmm. What took you from Seattle to 
to the, to the UK was it after high school or the classical school you talk about was connected? No, no, yeah, it was after high school. I went to Baylor University for my undergraduate. Okay. And I, I can't exactly remember how this happened. I was studying, I was continuing to study classics there, um, perhaps ironically, and <laughs> as well as historical philosophy. So those are my two concentrations in undergraduate. And my professors there said that, England was the best place to go to continue my studies in, in classics. And so I um, went, I had done some internships at Cambridge um, after my sophomore year and then my junior year, I decided I'd uh, like to study at Oxford for a little bit. And so I applied, got accepted just, I mean, just for, you know, a couple terms or so, had a chance to stay on through the summer and then ultimately applied again for my master's that time to do Islamic studies. Um, again, perhaps ironically, um, I keep studying the things that I'm, I'm converting away from after I do it. And, uh, <laughs> what, that and like that. that's fascinating itself. Yeah, it was fun. And now I'm, I'm still here now doing, doing my doctorate. Um, also in economics, which is another thing that I converted away from, uh, which is, <laughs> we'll talk about, I'm sure. So. That, is, that is so interesting. Um, so you, are uh, yeah, your upbringing, you, you really were attracted to, um, to learning about history, tradition, um, yeah. both the, the the classics, as you say, um, tied up with your faith as well. With all this study behind you, um, how what did that do for your relationship? Now that you're a Catholic with this background, this tradition, what was your personal relationship then with God? How did that sort of deepen? Did, did you find it went to another level? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is, you know, it's, it's the classic, a little pun when people say that history is his story, but it's really God's attempt to continually develop a relationship with humanity, those who have his image, uh, his dogged pursuit of us, and to see exactly the, the, the ebbs and flows of, the, of history and, and his great desire, the ways in which he's calling people to himself is just been completely transformative and it has been hist historically transformative for uh for the church as well where we're studying history first presented through the sacred scriptures and then seeing how god speaks to his church through the church uh after after he uh the canon of scripture closes as it, as it were uh is has been been marvelous so we the scholastics just to give a quick example for people who are wondering um broke history into four different eras. The original untainted time of Adam in the garden, followed by the law of nature is what they said. And this was a time after the garden uh, through to Moses. So this is, and this is, this saw things such as uh, Noah and the ark and the flooding of the entire world because humanity was just so bad. And then as soon as humanity jumps out of, uh, uh, you know, uh, Noah's loins again, as, 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 medieval, uh, as medievals talked about it, uh, what do they do? But they start to construct the same cities that they began to in Genesis 4, which were defined by great advancement and great sin. And ultimately it was God then saying, showing us that nothing would work, that it was not just uh, flooding the world and leaving only one righteous man, that wouldn't work out well enough. So he gave us a law of slowly, didactically 
reforming us saying you don't even understand the right order by which to live let me let me show you i'll write down everything that you need to know and then slowly over time needing to reestablish new covenants because he needed to reaffirm them that his that he truly wanted a relationship with us and and so we see this over and over throughout the old testament covenant after covenant that, that god the father is reaffirming with his people but ultimately the the law of of uh, the law of Moses, which is the, the third era that the scholastics broke history into, had to be fulfilled where the law was not just written on parchment, but written on our hearts, where the ideas by which to live were not just a legislated act, but rather virtue in which, which the medievals also saw was God written on our heart. That's what virtue is. It's the dispositions of our soul in which we act as God would have us do, where we actually have his image, which was tarnished at the fall, start to be made new. And, and that is, so that's God written on our heart. And that is this fourth age that we're in, this law of grace, this era of grace, this age of grace. And, and that really changes a lot about how you see God, the world that we're in, in the stage of life that, that we should be living in. And in many ways, that's the era of each one of us where we start pure from birth and we have our law of nature where we're starting to see crazy things and do crazy things that were untamed before we say, okay, what, what has God set for us to do? And it's very legalistic for a while. I have to do this, not do that. I have to not do this <laughs> instead of doing that. And, uh, and ultimately those, that's when um, Christ fully we were habituated to those ways and Christ is fully written on our heart where we're living out uh, freedom and that's ultimately what what you know we're freed for is freedom as St. Paul says so yes I think history is is an extraordinary aid to prayer um, and, and a great grace that, that God has given us and so the study of it is just a marvelous thing and it just goes on from there that's, that's just a quick just clarifying stage for the New Testament basically is that what this yeah is? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's when Christ comes. Okay. Yeah. And, we're in that and that's and that's made possible through the aid of the sacraments, okay. where we're not just told what to do, but we're given the real grace through the sacraments to do those things well and fully and and truly, like profoundly deep from our core. Yes. Amen. Um love it, love it. Um uh, your I, I do want to touch back to your father. You said he has passed away. Um yes, yeah. but uh how long ago now has it been? Uh, seven or eight years, I guess, at this point. Yeah. You, yeah. You did say he got baptized. Is that correct? He, he did. He was baptized before he died. Yes. Wow. So ultimately all the searching. So I mentioned even prior to that, that he really started to become devout in his, his faith as a Muslim. Yes. That, and that became an um, important point for where we started our conversations, where I said, you know, Imam Bukhari, one of the Hadith writers, obviously the, the one of the, after the Quran, the most uh, praised and prized text of, of Muslims is the Hadith, the sayings and doings of Muhammad. And Bukhari is considered to be, uh, um, along with Sahih Muslim, the, the most accurate portrayal of the sayings and doings of Muhammad. Um, and so, he within that text reading the bible 
was considered a good thing to do, was said to be um, good for Muslims to do in particular. Yes. So I said, why, why don't we do that together? So we read through the whole book of uh, John's gospel. And then we started to read pieces of, of Matthew's and Luke's as well. And, um, and it was ultimately the prodigal son story that was so compelling for him, um, where he thought that the son was going to be killed when he returned from the pigs. And instead he was embraced. Um, and there's was, there was hope for this repentance. And ultimately seeing that story also that, that there was this sacrificial lamb, lamb that was slain you know, to go slaughter the fattened calf, the father tells, uh, tells his ser servants. And that is really what should have happened, or what my father thought should have happened uh, to, to the prodigal, to this young son. Uh, but, but someone's, his place was taken by someone else. And that's Jesus Christ. Amen. And that, that really is a, a, big, a big issue uh, we have to raise when, when conversing with Muslims about that. Uh, the idea of the mercy of God and what he did to pay for our sins, the dying, the dying of the cross, that does, it doesn't make sense according to natural law. Hang on, we deserve punishment, but this is not right. It doesn't matter, but this is the beauty of the gospel, the good news. It's good news because God did take it upon himself. As, and this is what does mess with our brain sometimes, uh, humanly speaking. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely it does. Yeah, we would never have figured that out if it wasn't no. for the revelation. We actually needed that revelation. <laughs> yes, yeah, interesting. Yeah. But your dad, uh, look, praise God, uh, and, and you know what a beautiful thing, you know, in his in in those final years with you, uh, to be reading the Gospels together and, and going through that. You were Catholic by then, were you? Is that right? No, I was. No, it was a year following that I was received into the church. So wow. it, was, it was not long after he died that it was my confusion about the the whole eucharistic debacle as, as it were and yes need recognizing that i needed to find a traditional form of christianity began wow wow um so it's just uh, yeah amazing i think you need to put all the have you got this in a book somewhere i mean i think uh <laughs> no no just yeah not yet one day yeah. maybe <laughs> well tell us um are you married yourself right now what, what's your state yes i'm married to a beautiful woman named alice uh, she and I met at an undergraduate, and uh, I spent a year away from England in order to convince her to marry me, um, which which I was very very glad that she finally complied. And uh, we now have one son, young son named named Blaze, and he's seven months old now. Praise yeah. God! Praise yeah. God! Well done. Um, yeah. And and so now life is between the states and England still. So you're doing your doctorate in mm -hmm. England right now. That's um, right. But you have, you're a co-founder of, of a, an exciting initiative here, New Polity. What yep. is this? When did it begin? You're a co-founder. What, mm -hmm. What's the idea behind this? New Polity is all about teaching Catholic social doctrine uh, to us. So if we think about the primary command that Christ gave us of loving God and then loving neighbor, they're intimately tied together for, for reasons that we've kind of brushed on. And that's that... At the fall, our, our nature, which was made in the, in the image and likeness of God, was fractured with sin, which not only distanced us from God himself, but actually from one another. That was the way that we connected together. That's the greatest. You think about your friends. Why do you have such great friends? Because you have things in common. And you also think about your family. You have the same blood running through your veins. 
Well, Christ is, has begun to restore that in himself to lead you by the help of the Holy Spirit to God the Father again. But in that process of coming into intimacy with God, that's also a restoration of our relationships with one another. It's that as the image of God is started to made whole in, in ourselves, that is our chance of being able to love neighbor better. So this is really the, the initiative of new polity is to understand how is it that once we are loving God in furthering a right relationship with him, that we are then supposed to love neighbor better. And that this is really what we're trying to do. And the print magazine is, is really pushing that forward because I would say, and, and I think most would agree that the West has been very confused the last mm -hmm. several hundred years. At the very least, I think people will give me the last decade. Yeah. And, uh, and we're, we're trying to say what's wrong with society and how can we find a solution? And our, our big answer is that it just can't be done without Christianity. But then slowly starting to think through why is that? And how do we restore our society, loving neighbors better, uh, that we can actually be able to, to restore our cities? Wow, wow. So this is a major initiative of, of what you do there, uh, the magazine. Um, yep. There is a website as well? Yep, newpolity.com. Okay. We, um, this is, yeah, we have articles, podcasts. I'm rather uh, happy with our recent one we're calling Good Money. Um, which is a complete one of these ways of how do we love our neighbors better with with the money that God has given us uh, to steward and to steward well. Um, so we have some things that are what we're trying to do is tie the theoretical to the practical with that and many of the other things we're doing. So what we're trying to do in our own lives is trying to tie through the theoretical. So I'm studying still, but also really trying to test all this out in in Steubenville. And I just have to say that it's just been a huge grace to to me and to my family uh, to live there to be able to uh, to figure it actually to be loved and thus have a better model of how to love in turn um, it's it's just amazing how much the catholic religion changes the way that, that we live um, and love and so That's we've been, been very I feel we definitely need a show dedicated to that the whole catholic social <laughs> and, and what it is uh uh, because we, we do take for granted in the, in the secular culture and the Western world, we are built on originally built on Christian principles and, and, and uh, we are slipping away from that more and more and, and really uh, the order that, that what once was and now it's sort of becoming a lot more divided, chaotic, uh, disordered. Um, it, it's very interesting. Once you break away from Christ and his teachings and, and the social teachings of the church, it can be very messy. And that's what we're seeing before our very eyes. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. There's um, little little that we all are gathering around the table uh, at night and, and shouting out that's good shouts that are shouts of praise about the way that in which our politics is uh, is working out right now. And and I don't think that the answer in some ways is not it's not complicated at, at all. It's just once we separate ourselves from God, we we do tend more towards chaos. Yes. And that's, um, that's not unitive. It's, it's not collaborative. It's destructive. And so we, it's, but it always comes back to our relationship with God. You know, mm -hmm. at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, we're there with him in the garden. At the end, we're there with him in the city. Everything in between is all about how, how do we start to live out 
between the garden and the city with that relationship with God, walking with God, um, forever praising God in the meantime. And when it comes down to um, economics, when it comes down to politics, uh, really is God walking with, with the things that we're doing? Um, is he walking with us? I mean, that's really fundamentally the most, uh, the, the first question we have to ask. Amen. Wow. Yeah. Uh, what, when was this founded, uh, New Polity? How long has it been running? Yeah, so we, so we've, uh, we originally had this, uh, the blog side of this up and running for, gosh, a year and a half now, maybe more, two years ago. But the print magazine is uh, just nine months old. Okay. Um, it's been, it's, it was something that we thought it would be really fun to do. Andrew Jones, Andrew Willard Jones and Mark Barnes and I um, have for a long time been um, fascinated with this idea of how do we restore our culture? Yes. And it came to this uh, kind of breaking point where, where Andrew in particular was a, was a great ringleader for, for the three of us. And he, he's a professor at Franciscan University in Steubenville. Mm-hmm. He runs their Catholic studies program there. And, uh, and he said, you know, I'm just going to start a blog. Let's, let's just start writing. And we thought that it would be something that we kind of do on the side while we're all working our normal jobs for a while. And we tried to get it going. And then it just started to take off. And people started to flood the site. And we thought, people are really hungry for answers, for, for good Christian answers, for how do we restore our society? And we said, all right, we're going to take the risk. We're going to go for it. And we uh, made the plunge. And now we are uh, starting to make our life uh, an attempt to, to live out and to teach the social doctrine of the church. And so we're doing this uh, full time now for, for a few of us. Yeah, what an important time right now. We need this and the clarity as you're talking about. And, um, and congratulations on, on, on this great initiative. Um, I, I, I highly encourage people to, to get onto it. it. It's also a great way of witnessing. It's not overly in your face Catholic. I mean, it, the idea is it, it's just social teaching. When you read it, topics of politics, <laughs> economics, um, uh, some business uh, input. What, what are the sort of general topics you're covering here? Um, it's quite interesting. Yeah. So the, uh, the first things that I'll, I'll mention just because on the top of my mind is it was within this good money ideas. How do we actually create an economic system uh, that uh, that actually serves everybody well? And I think that's actually just phrasing it that way is the way that most of us would do in our in our uh, secular society. What mm-hmm. system do we need? Instead, Christ's answer to us is, "What are the virtues that you need to have a good economic system?" Um, so this is this is a, a great question right at the beginning that we're trying to answer. Another one is um, most of us are kind of glued to the news, to watching national uh, news instead of local news. But for most of us, we're never going to have an effect in national news. We'll wait our four years, at least in America, I should say. Uh, I, don't, I, I apologize. I don't really know how things work over there, um, but I'm sure they're better. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we wait our four years to, to cast our vote, and that's really the extent that we'll ever have a say in, uh, in the national level. But we don't really realize that it is what's happening around us uh, in our cities that has, A, the greatest effect on us, even from what we consider to be a political uh, situation, whether that's those who are in charge of our parks and recreation or those who are ensuring that our buildings are up to code and such. Those are happening at a local level for us here in the States. 
And, uh, but also just the most fundamental idea of politics, which is ordering your society, that happens at your family. Because what is, what is a family other than the building block of society, a society in and of itself, the church tells us. So to be able to recognize how is it that our larger society, our neighborhoods and our cities should be modeled on the way that we are living in our families now, because this is a great place of instruction that God has gifted us to be able to learn the faith and to learn how to treat one another and to be able to extend that sort of virtue and love uh, that we have for for those that we love most dearly to those who are we're growing to learn to love and so these are these are some of the things that we're we're trying to capture as well as you know what does it look like when we're moving from um, the old testament into the new testament uh, a, a testament of law versus a testament of grace and how should those who are in charge of us in our society the rulers of our society how should they be actual actually govern differently based upon the teachings of King David versus King Jesus. Yeah. So, and Andrew has a great article in that, in that issue that you have, that okay. you're holding up right there. Funny, yeah. That I just think is, uh, it was life changing for me. Um, as many of his things are, his book, The Portrait okay. and State. But um, we have, it's, uh, anyways, we're kind of spoiled with riches when it comes to ideas, I have to say. And, and as I'm a beneficiary alongside most, and only only serves so much in producing content i can i can say that it's actually been totally transformative for me in the way that my family and, uh, and i live so we're really grateful so how do people sign up or, or learn more so what's the website if you can tell us what yeah absolutely thanks so much for this newpolity.com is our website uh it's spelled just as you see it there on the top of the magazine um, and we have our uh, quarterly print journal here um, that you'll uh, get once every three months in, in the mail. You can go to newpolity.com slash magazine to subscribe. Um, we have weekly podcasts that are there up there that you can find wherever you find podcasts, as well as on our site, uh, as well as essays that come out about weekly as, as well, unless we're celebrating Christmas octave. So. Yeah. <laughs> We got a little bit behind over Christmas, but we're uh, we're we're grateful for for a new set of essays that are they're about to come out. Right, and you are um, uh, right near St. Paul Center, right? St. Steubenville. So you are. Yeah, we are. Right there, Scott Hahn, um, the uh, common link uh, with us at Perusia. Um, but uh, I remember visiting there uh, two years ago, and it was, it was fantastic to see the team there. Uh, yeah, St. Paul Center. That's how I met Alex. Um, right. Oh, um, great. Great. But, uh, yeah. Maybe next time we'll have to drop in again. <laughs> no, I hope you do. I hope you do. Andrew Jones used to be the executive director of uh, the St. Paul Center as well. And so yeah. there's okay. there's that connection. Well, Scott's been so good to us. He's a real fan of this as, as well. And you might have seen him on uh, Matt Frad's show or on Franciscan yeah. Presents, starting to tout some of the um, some of the great ideas that were presented by Andrew and others um, about how to restructure and think about questions of church and state, uh, clerics and, and laity, and, and how do we reform the way that we live accordingly. Yes. And one thing I guess I should also mention, not, not a small thing that we do, is we produce video courses as well. So if anybody's wondering about questions on uh, the modern sexuality uh, craze that we're going through, I think that Mark Barnes uh, gives us a very clear axioms by which to evaluate 
um, the modern obsession with sex, um, as well as walking through church history with Andrew Jones, which he's done a, a two-part video series with us, uh, or a second part that we're going to be launching in, in Lent, as well as questions such as uh, um, how science became a religion in our modern era and, uh, and, and what we call Plato's Dialogues, a, a philosophy professor at Franciscan University, teaches philosophy and his name's Plato. I mean, it was just meant to be he and his brother, uh, the pair of Plato's having conversations about uh, social order and how to begin to live differently as a, as a Catholic within our, our modern uh, liberal societies. So those are the things that we produce. All on that website, all the information is there. It's all right there. Excellent, excellent. We'll yeah. make sure we'll go to that. But I want to thank you. We are out of time, but fascinating to get to know you um, and your your yeah, upbringing, your life, and the work you're involved in. Such important work. Um, we do need to really uh, look at this as a society. Get back to basics, and and God is a major part of that. Um, <laughs> my goodness. Can I can I leave you with a final? Can I ask you to leave us with a final thought? Um, I mean, with all that background, living in a mixed. Um, uh, marriage, I mean, uh, being brought up with different religions, um, mm -hmm. discovering God for yourself once it became your faith, and now how you are now applying that uh, to try to have an impact on society and the world, which is quite beautiful. Um, what, what would be your final sort of tip or thought for our viewers and listeners uh, based on your experience and what, what, what would you like to say uh, to everyone watching today? Oh, well, you know what? Christ has loved us to the point of death. And if we can be so lucky as to uh, love others as well as he did uh, and love him to that same point, um, that's, that's everything. So uh, pray, pray to love as Christ has loved, has taught us to love and showed us to love and has loved us. That's really what every, everything in the church is, comes back to, comes back to this. So interesting. Beautiful. Love it. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much. Uh, you're in our prayers. Please pray for us over thank here at Perusia and thank um, you. we'll be in touch. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this hour with you. Thank you. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you, Jacob. And thank you everyone for watching and listening. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast uh, at perusiamedia.com. We're on all the popular podcast platforms. So the audio is available there. The video, of course, on YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, please, and click the bell so you get updates to all the latest videos. And, of course, we are uh, through Facebook Live and our brand-new social media network, the Perusia World Mighty Network. Uh, it is uh, uh, now launched, and we invite you to join there as well. An alternative to the, the usual Facebook and Instagram uh, places. This is an alternative social media site, so uh, check it out. We're building a community of Catholics around the world um, hundreds have started already and we want to build that to thousands and tens of thousands. So please join us at Perusia World. Um, and all information will be at our website, perusiamedia.com. Thank you for joining us and until next time, God bless.